I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and I am coming at you from the lobby of the Tournament Hotel at the BB&T Atlanta Open. I am sitting here <laughs> recording this podcast and watching all of the tournament players walk past me. It has been really fun. So I apologize for some of the ambient noise you're hearing in the background, but that's just kind of where things led this week. Um and it's just been it's it's been a great week out here at the BBNT Atlanta Open. Um, and Ryan Harrison just walked in. Um, I, I'm like in awe this week. It's been so fun. Anyway, this week's episode, I talked to Jimmy Bendek, and Jimmy is a former standout at Baylor, former junior player who, as it turns out, my son actually played at National Clay Courts their last year, the 18s. But Jimmy recently just announced that he is going to pursue a professional career in tennis. And so I thought it would be really fun to have him on the podcast to talk to all of you about his junior development, about his years at Baylor, and about his decision to turn pro, what has gone into that decision, and what he is looking to achieve on the pro tour. So I will, (laughs) um, sorry, I'm so distracted. I'm just like looking around and players, players everywhere. Anyway, I will let you sit back and relax and enjoy this week's podcast with Jimmy Bendek. Thank you for joining us, Jimmy Bendek, on the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. So I would love to have you share your junior tennis adventures with the Parenting Aces audience. Just kind of give us a little info on what your training looked like, how you got started in the sport, and, you know, who your coaches were. Yeah. Um so I actually started playing tennis when I was around seven years old. Um, my dad had played tennis, so I, I'd been around it a little bit. Um, but really, I, one day I saw it on TV, and, and, you know, I was like, hey, Mom, this is what I want to do with my life. And, you know, she kind of gave me a funny look, and I was like, well, if we're going to do this, you have to do it 100%. Um, because I had, like, quit piano before. I had quit another sport, and she was like, you know, you know she was trying to teach me a lesson kind of thing. And. Um, yeah, I started playing tennis at seven. Um, I started getting really serious uh, when I first started with my coach, who's been my lifelong coach, uh, Chris Hunt, at around uh, eight years old. And um, so yeah, I actually had a pretty good start. You know, as a kid, I was you know doing really well. I won my first fourteenth tournament when I was eight. Um, my first fifteenth tournament when I was um, ten, and my first eighteenth tournament when I was twelve. Um, so it's kind of like kind of called prodigy. Um, and this was all, all with my, my coach, Chris Hunt. And then when I was around 12 years old, um, I actually dislocated my shoulder, like right after um, the best time I ever had, which was uh, like the 14th National Open. And um, yeah, I basically went through like a three and a half, four year recovery process um, that basically consisted of two surgeries, a cortisone shot, um, and a lot of time in physical therapy. Um, after that, I started playing again, uh, really just, I got a little bit ahead in school, 
uh, and my coach was like, hey, look, you got to keep trying. You got to keep trying. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of battles in those four years of whether I should continue playing tennis. Um, and, yeah, he, he kind of convinced me. He says, hey, like, you got to at least give it a shot, play play high-level D1 tennis, and um, basically work my butt off the next the next two years to eventually uh, play a Baylor. Uh, in a, in a Fantastic. My, my junior career. <laughs> Yeah. So I want to just ask you, um, you said you started playing when you were seven. What did that look like in terms of how many days a week, how many hours a day? Yeah. I mean, I, when I was seven, I was, I went to normal school. Um, and we'd actually start playing at my, my coach would drive down when we play at 6am, um, probably like from six to seven thirty, And then I'd go to school and that, that kind of would be my, my day of tennis. And maybe sometimes I'd play in the afternoon. Um, but really, I started getting serious when I was nine. I started homeschooling, um, and they were kind of full days, right? I'd, I'd wake up in the morning. Um, I'd, I'd spend three hours uh, with my coach in the morning, not necessarily playing tennis the whole time, but um, at least around the sport. Um, usually, I'd go, we'd go eat something, and I'd do school for for two or three hours, and then um, we'd do something short or some sort of fitness in the afternoon. Um, never too much tennis necessarily, but... Um, full days at least uh, around tennis uh that's for and, sure so, and when and that kind when of continued you, until i was 12 yeah okay and so sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but um when you say that you homeschooled was it uh a situation where one of your parents was teaching you were you doing virtual school or a combination of the two yeah it was actually it was actually my coach my tennis coach who was teaching me you know he actually um his name is chris hunt um, I had a really good personal relationship with him and, and he put a lot into me, um, more than just as a tennis player. He was really a, a second dad to me. Um, and he really raised me for who I am today more than anyone in my life. So definitely, um, yeah, he, he taught me basically everything I know. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And you yeah. grew up in, in Florida, right? I did. Yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, the weather in Florida is very conducive to, training full-time and yep. all that, um, you know, it's it's a great place to grow up if you want to be a tennis player. Um, yep. So sure. did you grow up playing mostly on clay courts or did you combine that so with hard courts? Yeah, so we actually, um, I basically played with my coach in a, in a private park, or not a private park, a public park um, in Pompano Beach, Florida. And, and we kind of just... Um, we'd play there, you know, three, three, four hours a day and, and there were hard courts there. Um, and obviously we'd try to get on clay whenever I'd be playing a clay court tournament. Um, it'd obviously be based on, on, um, you know, what, what the circumstance was for that weekend and what would help me be best prepared. And, um, we would usually find clay courts either in Pompano or we'd go to Boca Raton, depending on, um, where we think, where we practice. Gotcha. And did you ever have a time where you felt like, gosh, I'm giving up so much for this tennis thing that you, I mean, especially when you were dealing with your injury and recovering from that injury, you know, where you, I, I assume you still continue to homeschool during that period. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, there's many, many conversations, um, obviously with my family, um, and just with myself about, Hey, should I continue doing this? Especially, um, during those times where I was hurt, you know, I had, I was this kid who, you know, had potential to be pro, um, and be a really successful pro from the results I had. And then I kind of had like a, almost career ending injury 
Um, and it took four years to truly recover from it. Um, and even after those four years, you know, I still suffered some, some pain and, and still had to, a lot to go through um, with the injury. But yeah, there's a lot of debate whether I should quit or whether I should keep going. And I think in the end it was, you know, one, I, you know, the love for the sport of tennis and, and, and doing, you know, being successful there, but also, you know, Hey, like I, I also want to at least play in a, in a D one school and, and have a chance to win a national championship and ha- have a chance to win a you know conference championship. And, um, you know, my coach kept that dream alive for me and, and you know, thanks to him, I, I continue believing that I had the opportunity to do that. That's great. I think, you know, dealing with injury, especially as a young player can be not just physically debilitating, but, mentally, you know, to have that disappointment, especially as you said, you were coming off one of the best tournaments of your life at that point, and, and you were still a little kid, at, you know, when the yeah. injury happened, but still, I mean, you're you're on a high from winning a great event, and then to have to take a step back and deal with, you know, the pain of the injury, but also, I would think the frustration of gosh, you know, all I want to do is play tennis and here I am laid up trying to recover from this stupid injury. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely, I think obviously the toughest thing, you know, when I was, you know, from 12 to 16 was just seeing all these guys that, you know, beaten or, or competed with, you know, who are, you know, winning junior orange bowl, who are getting their first point at 15 years old, you know, first ATP point at 15 years old. And, you know, I hadn't touched a tennis racket in three years at that time, you know, and I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, oh, well, what if that could have been me? And, you know, it was definitely even even to the point where after I came back, I still, like, you know, I, I didn't have confidence because of, of this whole fact that I didn't play. And um, really, it was, you know, one day my my coach kind of, you know, looked at me and was like, hey, you know, like, this is this is, this is the cards that were dealt to you. You know, you got to do the best you can with them. And um, honestly, with his help, I was able to, to get mentally in the state, start believing myself and, and realize that, you know, I have a pretty, pretty good life. And, uh, I'm really thankful for it. And, you know, there's a lot worse things that can happen than, than not being able to play tennis for four years. So Sure, sure. And was there ever a point where your parents just said, look, it's just not worth it. Let's, let's switch gears here. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they definitely, you know, um, they talked about it a lot you know at what point wasn't it was it not going to be worth it but one of the things that that you know one i have amazing parents who have supported me every step of the way and and who believe in whatever i want to accomplish so i'm really lucky in that aspect but also you know i had the rest of my life in mind i had you know i was doing really well in school um in the homeschooling i was doing i would take the standardized test and i I was testing the 90th percentile um you know, I was getting my work done. It wasn't like I was just sitting around doing nothing. You know, I was I was trying to maximize my time the best I could, um, especially when I was around my coach and, and he was helping me. You know, we would watch videos about tennis. We'd, we'd do everything we can to, to, to have me learn. But also, you know, we're, we're I was doing pretty well in school. So it was, it was like, hey, look, I'm still trying to follow my dream um, and I'm accomplishing everything else that I need to um, that you guys want me to accomplish to check the box. So... Um, I think because of that, they continued, you know, entrusting in me that that this was the right decision. Right. How did you use that injury or how have you used that injury moving forward to kind of inform your 
pathway in your actions now that you're back healthy and playing? Um, I think early on, it was just, you know, I, I was just thankful to be around the game, right? Because when you don't have a chance to play for four years and you really love the sport and it was kind of your life, um, what happens is you get on the court and you're just happy to be on the court, you know, and, and a lot of a lot of tennis players, um, and I felt this midway through college, uh, you know, we find ourselves and we're like, we're kind of sick of it, you know, and, you know, I spent two years training basically from 16 to 18 years old you know, having a 24 hour day based on tennis and based on how do I get myself to, to be, um, it's a level of college, you know, D one college tennis. And I was training extremely hard. And I think what allowed me to do that was I enjoyed it because I knew that, you know, I, I didn't have tennis for four years and now I had it and I'm making the most of it. Um, but also just, you know, it's in the end, you know, I still had an amazing life. I still had amazing parents. I still had an amazing coach and amazing relationships. And, um, you know, I think that helped me separate, you know, and help understand how much tennis really matters in my life and what, what's the most important part of tennis to me, which is, right. you know, the process and, and the journey that I got to experience with my coach um, and my family and, and the team of people that were around us um, when I was playing tennis. Well, it's so funny because I, I was going to ask you about burnout and the fact that you had this four years away from the court. I suspect during that four-year period, you saw some of your peers dropping out of the sport due to burnout. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of people who, you know, it, in the end, like, I don't want to go out there and be a fat tennis player you know, who gets angry every day. Um and obviously, everyone faces times where they're going to feel burnt out. I felt that many times in my career in college because the college season's super long and tiring. Um, but it, I think it made it a lot easier for me because I had all this time that I didn't play tennis. You know, so the hardest, the hardest, and um, I've ever worked was right after I had this time back. Right, was because I had this opportunity, and I knew that you know I didn't take it for granted. You know, I didn't take every day on the court for granted. Um, and right. I think that that really helped me improve really fast when when I wasn't, you know, when I was finally healthy again. You know, one of the interesting takeaways from all of this, Jimmy, is the fact that you did take four years away from tennis and were able to get back and get back to the highest level so that you were recruitable by the best schools in the country. And I think this is a really important thing for parents to hear that it's okay if your kid needs a break or wants a break from the sport as long as everybody's on board with what's going to happen during that break, right? And that just because you take a break doesn't mean your tennis career is over and done with. There's still lots of opportunity to get back and, you know, train even harder maybe because your mind is in the right place and because maybe you want it more at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, you know, it was definitely, I completely agree with that. I think that, that for me, I think that, you know, finding the right amount of training has been really important. And I'm still, that's something I'm constantly working on, working on because of injury, because of, you know, mental burnout, et cetera. And I think, you know, I think my coach did an unbelievable job um, over the two years that we had um, where I could really train um, managing all that, right. And making sure that I was in the right mindset every single day before practice started and making sure he talked to me about, you know, what the plan was and what we were doing and why we were doing it. And, um, 
you know, it was not, it, obviously it's not always easy, right? It, there's many times where we, we fell into tough times and where there are days where I didn't want to, didn't want to wake up and play or, or days where I just wanted to stop and be like, Hey, like, you know, I feel burnt out, but you know, my coach did a really good job of making sure that everything was planned and organized. And, um, I also, he, he gave me a lot of ownership in it, um, in the way he did things because he would always explain and, and rationalize why we were doing what we were doing. Um, and it made it a lot easier, it made the process a lot easier. And also, um, you know, it gave me a lot of freedom to just worry about, you know, tennis, <laughs> which right. makes life really easy. Right. Well, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your college recruiting because you, I would guess, were in a pretty unique position when it came time to start reaching out to schools or for schools to start reaching out to you in that you had this big gap in in your results. And so did you find yourself having to explain that to coaches or how did that work? Oh, yeah. So this is a very interesting story. So obviously when I was 16 i had no ranking um you know on tennisrecruiting.net i think after the first six months i had been playing again i was 256 um when i was about to turn 17 so that's obviously like a whole different recruiting range that i ended up in and then about six months later i was top 50 i was a i was a uh you know five star and then i was kind of getting you know i won an itf in puerto rico and, and beat some people there pretty soundly some really good players um, and find myself in a good position. But, um, you know, originally before this happened, I had to email all the coaches myself. It was kind of a thing that, you know, my coach and my mom, we, we put together something to email basically the coaches of the, the schools that I thought or that we thought would be um, national championship caliber schools. And we reached out to them. Right? And obviously at the time, you know, my results, you know, I, obviously I was a tennis player and, and my results were, were getting better, um, but I wasn't like this hot shot recruit, right? And and that was obviously really difficult. Um, and I, as I started getting getting better results, um, you know, I started narrowing down the schools and, and schools became more interested in me. Um, but it wasn't like, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was this, like this, this recruit that people were really reaching out for right there's a couple schools that that really tried hard and there are like a couple mid-major schools um and then honestly wake forest was one that had recruited me from the very beginning um but other than that it was kind of me reaching out and and coaches kind of discovering through um me reaching out so that was kind of the path do you want me to name the schools I, I talked to or yeah i'd love to i i mean i think it's interesting to hear where where you looked yeah, so I, I looked at, um, you know, the big four that I was looking at to start were uh, Boise State, Duke, uh, Wake Forest, and Illinois. Um, you know, Illinois was always a, a, a big favorite for me from the time I was basically nine years old. My coach's nephew, Ryan Rowe, played there. Um, you know, won a national championship in doubles with Kevin Anderson. Um, he was an All-American there, and he's one of my best best friends. He's like a brother to me, and, and so I wanted to kind of live his legacy. Um and obviously Duke um, and Wake, Wake was, was growing. They had me, recruited me from the beginning. Uh, Duke is all, obviously a great program. And then Boise State, Coach Patton, um, I think is an amazing person. And honestly, getting to learn from him, even through the recruiting process, was an amazing experience. Um, so honestly, there's a lot of good choices. And I actually ended up committing to Wake Forest, um, I think, early, late October of, before, of my senior year. Um, so this is like the year before I'm supposed to go to college. Um, 
And then we thought it was a, it was a done deal and I was going to get to go. And then, you know, we were having troubles with the missions, but it seemed to be going fine. And then about five months in, into being committed or four months into being committed, um, basically we, we basically figured out that I probably wasn't going to get into the school. Um, and to be honest, I don't know the exact details of why, but it was had something to do with the homeschooling program that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And then basically I, you know, you know, it's kind of a tough experience, right? Because I'd gone all through all this, you know, I found a school, found a coach and a program that we thought was, was, had a lot of potential. And obviously, um, Wake Forest has done an incredible job. You know, they won, they won two years ago and they, or they won last year and, um, they got to the finals this year. So, you know, we had the, the right thoughts in mind that this is going to be one of the best programs in the country, but, um, unfortunately it didn't work out. And so let me let me interrupt you one second. So when you say that you committed to them in October, that was a verbal commitment at that point, right? Because you can't yeah, sign. Yeah, you yeah. can't sign the NLI. Just I'm clarifying for the audience, you can't sign the NLI yeah. until November. So so it's a verbal commitment, but you know those verbal commitments can be binding, and sometimes. They are not minding. <laughs> the school yeah. can change its mind and the player can change his mind. And I mean, unfortunately for you in that situation, it was an admissions issue. And I mean, that just stinks. I, I, I can't imagine how disappointed you were feeling at that point. Yeah, it was, I, I kind of felt, you know, when I found out, it was obviously a really tough. It was a really tough day, you know, because I worked so hard to, to get to this moment. Um, you know, we finally felt secure. The recruiting process we took really seriously. Um, and we felt like we had the right school, the right program, the right coach. And um, obviously it didn't work out. You know, it, it was really unfortunate um, at the time. <laughs> right. And then. Right. You know, right. In the sure. moment, it's it's the worst thing ever. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, in the moment, it seemed like it was the biggest thing that's ever happened in my life. Um, right. Right. Especially, you know, and it was just recruiting is stressful so you know the the when we had relief after it was over it was amazing and then you know come to find out that i might not be going to school in in the fall right um so, we so how did had, you regroup from that it was kind of one of these things so because um it was after the time of, of like you can sign you can send the applications i didn't have any public schools as options as an option, at least I don't think I have as an option after, um, after I basically decommitted from Lake Forest and didn't get in. Um, and then really what happened was we, you know, we, my coach was like, look, Baylor's the next best option. Let's, you know, you know, as crazy as it sounds, we shot some videos of me playing tennis in, in practice, um, you know, made a bio and the next day we sent it to, to coach Canole, um, at Baylor and, um, I think within the next week and a half, I, I visited them. I got to go to, to the match where they were number two in the country. Oklahoma was number one. Um, you know, Wall Street Journal did a special on the match. It was like one of the most amazing, I think it is still the most amazing college tennis match I've ever seen. Um, and then the next week I was committed to Bannock. <laughs> so wow. it, was a, it was a pretty crazy turnaround. Um, and I'm really thankful for it, right? I think it, it all worked out in my favor. Um, cause I've, uh, Baylor has been an incredible school to be a part of, but, um, yeah, crazy, crazy recruiting experience, definitely stressful. Um, especially for my family, obviously, cause you know, they were supporting me the whole way. Um, sure. Yeah. It was, it was a really good, really, really interesting experience. 
So let me ask you a question about Baylor because you committed under Coach Canole and then he left partway through your college career and you had a new coach in Coach Bolin. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, well, first I I like to say how lucky I am. I got to learn from two national championship coaches, right? That's not very many people get to do that. Um anywhere right I got to do it as a player um, from two coaches and obviously the transition super hard um, you know we had one way of doing things the first three years and then now there's a completely way of doing things with coach Bull and um, I think we kind of lucked out you know we got one of the best coaches in the country if not the best coach in the country with Brian um, you know he's an incredible person and and he I thought he did an unbelievable job um, when he came in to really make us all feel comfortable for with who he was and um, you know, what mattered most to him. Um, and, and honestly, at first, I, I think I had a lot of t- trouble adjusting because I, you know, it's just something new and, and I'm kind of this feisty, you know, you know, talk, I like to talk back kind of guy. And, um, you know, it, it took me a little bit to learn, but honestly, I, you know, <laughs> I could imagine that didn't go over so well with coach Boland. <laughs> yeah. But it was, but it was, it was a really good experience just because, you know, it was a new system, but it was a system that works and, you know, I 100% believe in and bought into. Um, and obviously we had really good results last year, you know, and it, and um, I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, the transition and how good of a job Coach Boland did coming into here at Baylor. And I think, I mean, don't don't quote me on this, but I think we're going to win some national championships pretty soon here at Baylor. <laughs> so. Well, if, so, if we don't, if we don't this year, we'll win one next year. <laughs> okay, you're on the hook now because I'm not going to quote you, but you just said it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so at what point did you realize? And I know you said from a young age you said you wanted to be a professional player, but I would suspect having gone through the four years away from the game, maybe that came into question a bit. Even though the goal of playing for a top college program was still viable for you. But at what point in your college career did you realize, Hey, wait a minute, maybe this dream of becoming a professional is still alive and viable for me. Yeah. I mean, I guess to, to, to tell you a story. So going into, um, so midway through my junior year um, in February, I actually fractured. Um, I stress, I had a stress fracture in my left femur and that oh took me gosh. out for the season. Yeah, and I, I got I got almost healthy by the time NCAA started. Um, I was healthy enough to probably be in the double lineup. Didn't really make the double lineup, so that that was really tough for me because you know I, I thought I was really good at doubles, um, but obviously I hadn't played a match in a long time, so it, so it made sense from from a coach's perspective. Um, and then I I went to New York all summer. I, I played Davis Cup about a week after the season ended, um, and that was that was an awesome experience. And I went to New York for an internship all summer. Um, and I did not, I touched a tennis racket one time, um, in 10 weeks, you know, so that, so my mind was, you know, Hey, like, where am I going to take my finance career? Um, and I was applying for full-time jobs all fall. Um, and I was working really hard to find a job, you know, and everyone, mm-hmm. that was kind of what my life was about. And, you know, I wasn't sleeping very much because I was trying to keep up with tennis and, and I promised coach Bowen that I would give everything I could to tennis. Um, and then, yeah, basically, I, you know, the first t- time we ever joked about it, I ever joked about going pro and since I was younger was I was in the car on the way to All-Americans with, with uh, 
our, uh, Michael Woodson, our assistant coach, and I said, if I'm if I'm top five in either singles or doubles, um, I'll play pro for six months. You know, and obviously I said that as a joke. You know, thinking like that's never going to happen. Um, you know, there's there's no indication. I haven't played in really played in five six months. There's nothing that'll show that. Um, we ended up winning all Americans. And then, you know, I, I, I still thought it was a joke, but Mike is like, well, now you got to play pro. And I'm like, I'm not going to play pro. And then about three and a half months ago, you know, we, we continued doing really well in doubles and, and it kind of became one of those things where it wasn't just a, a coincidence that we were ranked really high. You know, was, you know, we had legitimate results. We built a, a, a record that was, um, you know, where I believed it would be realistic to, to believe that I can make it in the pro tour. Um, and then, you know, do some talk with my parents and, and um, you know, Coach Boland and, and, and Michael Woodson and Isaac Vandermeer, you know, they said, you know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You only get to play, play pro once in your life, and um, it's now. So, you, you know, you should definitely consider giving it a shot. Um, and, yeah, here I am giving it a shot. You know, it was, it was more, you know, for me, I don't want to be a player who goes out there and is delusional about, you know, what I can and can't do on the pro tour. You know, I don't want to sit there, you know, three, four years at 500. You know, I want to be able to be, you know, every year be improving and, and getting closer to becoming, you know, a top 100, top 50 uh, pro, in this case, doubles and hopefully top 10, right? Um, and I believe that my record this past year um, on the doubles court, you know, was. And so is your Baylor doubles partner also going to go out on tour with you? Um, so he's actually, he's still, he's going to be a junior this year. Um, ah. But, but yeah, so hopefully afterwards he will. I'm pretty sure he's going to play pro tennis, and um, I'm also pretty positive he's going to be extremely successful as well. So um, I definitely think in two years we'll be we'll be joining up again, um, and I think that's the plan. Hopefully that's the plan in his mind, but it's definitely the plan in my mind. <laughs> and so, who will you play with to start out, or who are you playing with? Yeah, that, that's that's a good question. So I think early on it's going to be it's going to depend uh, tournament by tournament. Um, you know, depending on who's playing it, what the person's schedule is, and obviously, like, whether we, you know, how close we are as friends, you know, whether our games um, help each other out. Um, I'm going to try my best to play with Sven. Uh, Sven Lobs, that was the doubles partner I had here, in, here at Baylor, um, in the bigger tournaments, right, and, and see if he, he'd be willing to travel out and play with me. And I think um, that's most likely going to happen, um, just because, obviously, that's going to be a really good opportunity for me and him both to get better, so. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it depends on tournament by tournament, but I'm going to try my best to obviously find the best uh, partner I can to to win each tournament. I mean, that's that's in the end, that's the goal, right? So, um, you know, find find someone that matches well with me. And, and honestly, it's really tough early on in the pro tour from what I'm discovering. It's, you know, it's tournament by tournament. Some people pull out, some people, you know, get injured. So you don't really know until, you know, either a week or a couple of days before and sometimes the day of the tournament um, who you're going to be playing with. Um, especially in the futures level. Right, right. And so will you have a coach with you? Because I know it's very difficult financially to make that happen at the beginning. So yeah, early on, I'm not, right? I'm not going to have a coach at all. Um, I'm going to be traveling kind of alone. Um, but I think, you know, I think I, I think doubles is a little bit easier than singles in this way. Obviously, I'm going to be playing some singles as well. Um but doubles, I, I have a basic understanding of, of what I like to do in doubles, and it's a little bit more simple, um, and it's a little bit easier to work on. Um, and the, I think that's part of the reason, one, that I'm good at it, because it's, 
it's a more it's a mental game. I think it's a, it's a mental game in the sense of strategy. Um, the, the strategy is more simple. So I think coaches aren't really quite as necessary as they are in doubles. But obviously, as I become more successful, I'd like to have someone travel with me. I think it makes life a lot easier. And I think, you know, having a coach there always makes a huge difference. So um, in the short run, obviously, financially, I won't be able to afford to have a coach. But hopefully, if you know, one day I make it top 50, top 20, I'd, I'd love to have a coach travel with me. And I mean, have you given thought to the stresses involved in traveling alone on the tour? Because I've, I've interviewed several young professional players over the years. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges that they talk about is that feeling of being there by yourself and, you know, having to deal with where you're going to stay and how you're going to get there and you know your schedule and what you're going to eat and God forbid you get sick or injured, how to deal with that. Um, you know, how do you plan for that as a young professional player? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this is probably my biggest concern of being a professional tennis player is exactly this, right? Um, you know, because I, I love being around my team of people, it's something that I've learned to love in college and something I grew up with, with, with having a coach who, who loved and cared about me and who, you know, who I relied on. Um, you know, but I guess, and I had this conversation the other day, um, what makes it easy is, you know, there's all these people, I'm lucky, I have all these people who are supporting me, right? If you look at the, the Make a Champ campaign, which is the crowd fundraiser I started, there's a lot of people who, who put um, donations in because they believe in me and my dream, right? And I have a, a team of people here at Baylor um, who believe in my dream and who trust me. And I have parents and family and coaches and um, a girlfriend and, and friends who all really care and who want me to do the best I can, I can and who really put a lot of time and effort into me. Um, and so with those people putting that time and effort, you know, when, when I'm having a bad day, you know, I have it written on, on, the, on the screenshot, um, or I have it written on, on my phone, you know, remember all I have. Remember all the people who who help you, right? Because that's that's the easiest motivation, especially in the toughest times. So um, it's helped me a lot in the last couple of weeks, and I think hopefully when I'm traveling a lot, you know, I can just think, you know, all these people are there to help you. Um, you know, just keep going. You know, just keep keep trying, and um, you know, there's there's definitely tougher things in life than traveling, playing tennis, even though it is really tough. <laughs> it's really nice. yeah. You know, it's, but in the end, it's all, a nice way to make a living for sure. Yeah. And, and even if I don't, you know, it's, you know, there's all these people that believe in me and I believe in myself and, and all I can do is give the best effort I can. Right. And, um, you know, that's how I make it all worth it. And if I do that, then either way, I know I'm going to come back out of tennis um, with a really happy and, and positive experience. Do you have a schedule mapped out for your first three months, six months, year? Yeah. So I, I, I do have a schedule map, mapped out. Um, obviously, it's uh, subject to change. Um, but to start, I'm going to be going to, uh, Mexico, to Cancun, Mexico. I graduate, um, to see how, see how excited I am to play pro tennis. I graduate August 17th. Um, that's my official graduation date and I will be leaving to Cancun the next morning on August 18th. So, wow. Yeah. Awesome. What's that? You're taking a couple summer school classes this summer to get done. Yeah. Yeah, I'm finishing my class, my last class um, this week, actually. So I turned in my last assignment in, in three days. And um, yeah, and then and then one more test and then it starts the, the real world. <laughs> and then you're a finance major. Is that what you said? Yeah, I'm a finance and entrepreneurship major. So I double majored. 
Okay, so I have to ask you this question. As a finance and entrepreneurship major, do you have a business plan for yourself, for the business of Jimmy Bendek? Oh, yeah. I mean, there isn't quite necessarily a business plan um, like that's completely laid out, um, but there's definitely a, a method to the madness of, of how I'm, I'm going about playing professional tennis. You know, I think, um, and I tell this to a lot of the people, like I think one of the things I'm, that – that I have an advantage over other people is that, you know, I'm going to treat it like a business, right? I'm going to, I'm going to maximize my opportunity, my opportunities everywhere I can, you know, whether it's going to be in fundraising or scheduling um, or just really making relationships with the people that can, you know, I don't know, help me out in tennis or I can help out. Um, you know, I'm going to do the best I can to, to you know, bring what I learned in, in school and, and in my internships to, to what I do here in tennis. And I think, Honestly, it's going to make a huge difference. It's already making a huge difference. So um, maybe people do it as well as me. I don't know. And I'm just starting, right? I don't know if I'm doing everything the right way. Um, but I'm definitely going to think that I have an advantage in the way that I'm trying to handle things in a more professional way um, off the court. So, Do you have some current professional players who are like mentoring you or who you're going to for advice? Yeah, Coach Bowen has, um, you know, has referred me to a couple of players. I don't know if I want to name them, um, but they are extremely helpful. Um, our conversa- my conversations with them, I took down a bunch of notes and um, have been honestly really helpful through the process and starting this process because obviously it's a big, it's, it's something really big and kind of scary. Um, and it, it's made a huge, huge difference, you know, just hearing them. Uh, obviously, I can talk about uh, my vol- the volunteer assistant coach here at Baylor has been unbelievable help. He's like Don Demir. He played on the pro tour. Um, you know, he was around 100 or top 100 in both singles and doubles. Um, and he's been an unbelievable help. I mean, I can't say more about uh, what this guy has brought to the table for me in terms of like just showing me how to be professional, um, you know, showing me the ins and outs of the tour, understanding the scheduling, um, understanding, you know, how to build relationships with other players. Et cetera, et cetera. It's been honestly without him, I don't even know where I would be. Um, you know, and obviously my coach Michael Woodson, Brian Bull, and the people here at Baylor have done an unbelievable job. Um, you know, trying to prepare me as well as they can. Um, you know, even though obviously I'm not, I'm not gonna. You know, they have nothing in stake for me anymore. Obviously, they're doing it out of out of love. So, yeah, it's been. I've been pretty lucky. I have an amazing team around me that's that's doing the best they can to to make this dream become a reality. That's great. You mentioned your crowdfunding website, and I'd love to hear more about that because we know it's expensive to be out there on the Pro Tour. And until you're inside the top 150, top 100, it it costs money to be out there. Um, You're not, you know, you're not in the black yet. So how did you come up with the idea to crowdsource your financing and, and how did you decide like the platform to use and all of that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, originally, obviously I, I originally was going to get, try to find one or two sponsors that um, were able to support me. Um, and I wasn't able to accomplish that. So I, I thought the next best thing was to, um, you know, basically start this, this crowdfunding campaign. I used the make a champ website. Um, it was, it's a very sports specific website. Uh, that's the first reason I liked it. And the second reason was they take the least fees out of all the, um, all the others, other websites so basically they just take like a two percent fee um when you do the transaction versus other ones do like a two percent fee for the transaction and then there's like a five percent um fee for whatever the website is so that was why i used 
um, make a champ particularly. Um, and obviously, and we'll like, have a link. We'll have a link to your make a champ page in the show notes for my listeners, so y'all can check that out. Thank you. I love that. <laughs> Please donate. Um, <laughs> and shameless, shameless plug. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Um, and uh, so, okay. And so, what? I mean, your goal on your website is pretty conservative, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It is. So that, that's completely based on a like on a one year travel schedule. Um, and yeah, thirty thousand dollars is is you know, you know you think it's conservative, but the I think the people who who um, want to support me and who'd be willing to support me wouldn't think that, right? They think, wow, thirty thousand dollars is a big number. Um, I mean, I I'm hearing a hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year to be out there, so I think thirty thousand is conservative. Yeah, and and I think this, I think this, you know, this is part of my plan, right? Is I wanna I wanna be as smart as possible in the way that I handle my traveling, right. And to handle my schedule and handle every little aspect and try to get every, every single advantage to make it, to be as fiscally responsible as possible. Um, and that's kind of, you know, what I did, right. I laid out, uh, basically I did like a pro forma expense sheet and, um, laid out what a tournament would look like. And, um, 30,000 was the number, the overall number based on uh, 30, 30 tournament, 30 week travel schedule. Um, but yeah, that's the number that I, that I landed on. And, and honestly, I think, um, for doubles, I'm not going to be paying for a coach. Um, for mostly I'm going to, I'm doing pretty well for, uh, with equipment. So it's really just going to be travel hotel and food. You know, that's going to be, that's going to be taking a lot of the money. And, um, yeah, I think, I think for the first year, it's, it's, it's pretty accurate. You know, I'd probably, I'll probably spend more than $30,000, but I thought it was, um, you know, a respectable amount, especially in the beginning when I'm proving myself. Right. I think, I think if I, if I start proving myself and I start doing really well, um, you know, then it, then it'd be warranted for me to, to, to look for more. Right. And be like, Hey, look, this is, this dream is becoming a reality, you know, help me get from, from, you know, step two to step three now. Um, right. And that's, and well, hopefully, and hopefully you know, you're, you're going to have some prize money to help offset some of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, that's, that's what happens, right? Because in the end, if, if, if you have results, I think this is something to always mind the tenants. Like, if you have results um, and you're doing well, um, you know, you're going to make it right. And if you're, if you're, if you're winning tennis matches, it doesn't matter, you know, whether you get that, whether you get that wild card, um, you know, whether you, whether you have the money to travel, but if, if you do well in the tournaments that you are able to travel to and you maximize um, every day that you have on the court um, and every match that you have, then I think, you know, then you deserve to make it and you will make it right. It maybe it, it will be a little harder than if, you know, if I had a bunch of money to spend, um, but in the end, the results will talk and I think will, will lead me to wherever I want to go. And the results will hopefully lead to sponsors as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. For um, sure. So I have to ask, do you have an agent at this point? I don't. I don't. I'm I've done all of this um obviously with the support and help from my family and coaches. Um but my, like it's all through me. So everything is, you know, every decision I've made has been my decision. Um and every idea has been mostly mostly my idea. Um, with obviously input and advice from, from the team that I have around me. Do you think having an something that you'll look at 
incorporating into your team, you know, at some point this year? Is that a goal? Um, probably not. I think, um, I think that it, right now my goal is to have as good of results as possible. Um, and if my results show and if I do really well on the tour, um, then maybe it's something I consider in the future. But I think honestly, short term, I don't think it's something we need because if, if I'm able to travel um, and do well in tournaments and get to the point where, you know, an agent would want to look at me, um, then that's kind of where, where, where I'd like to be at. Um, and that kind of be where, where my goal would be, where I'm, I'm someone that people want. And, and honestly, I'm very far away from that, right? There's, there's a lot less to be done on the tennis court before, you know, I can really realistically be like, Hey, you know, can I get a bonus? Hey, you know, do I really need an agent to talk to, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think until then, until my results are really showing and, and I'm doing really well, I, I don't think there's really a good purpose for it. Gotcha. I have to ask you about your fellow college player, JJ Wolf, who also is turning pro, just made that announcement recently. And yep. do, you, do you know JJ? Uh, I don't know him personally. I mean, obviously I've met him, but I don't know him well personally. Okay. I mean, so I think it, you know, for our audience, it will be interesting because JJ is primarily a singles player. Um, it'll be fun to kind of compare and contrast what's going on with your career and his career since y'all are kind of going out at the same time. And, you know, his, his path is a little bit different um, given that he's not graduating from college. He's not going back for yeah. a senior year and you are completing your degree. How important was it to you to finish your four years at Baylor and get that graduation certificate, that diploma? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think I had to, right? There was no, there was definitely no question Why? at any point of the way. Um, you know, because tennis isn't forever. Um, well, that's one, right? And and I don't think I had the results to warrant that, right? To to say, hey, you know, let me just stop here and and not not finish my final class. I think, um, you know, I think hopefully the best of Jimmy Bendick will be tennis, um, and I can make a name through tennis. But if if that's not you know, if that doesn't happen, which, you know, there's no guarantee, then my goal is to make my name and have impact on the world. Um, as Jimmy Bendick, someone who, you know, who did successfully academically, who is part of the business world. Right. Um, and, you know, tennis isn't forever. You know, I know, better, I think better than anyone, you know, it can, it can end in an instant. Um, and so that's, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's no reason there, yeah, there's no reason not to graduate, at least on, on, on for me personally. Um, gotcha. Yeah. And I think, and to be honest, I think JJ, you know, to, to, to defend, him, defend his decision a little bit, I think he definitely is in a different situation than I am, right? He's already, um, I believe, top 300 in the world. Um, you know, he's, and that's with like almost a, a very um, limited travel pro schedule because he's been playing college and, and he played, you know, some in the fall. Um, and I think it's a whole different world when, when you're, you know, you're consistently number one in college and singles, pretty basically completely dominant and already have a, a pretty high ranking. Right. And, and the ability to, to, um, you know, and he has a belief in himself that he's going to make it. So I, I think it's, we're not quite in the same boat. Um, mm -hmm. and I think he, he's definitely well ahead of me in, on his way to being a pro. So, um, it's, I don't know if it's quite as comparable. 
Uh, I just think it's, you know, for me, watching from the sidelines, I, I always get excited when a college player tries their hand at the Pro Tour. I think it's always very exciting and, and fun to watch. And so, you know, to have you and JJ both embarking on your professional career kind of simultaneously, but taking different paths, it's going to be fun to watch. I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be super cool. Hopefully I, I do as well as him. <laughs> well, he's probably saying hopefully he does as well as you. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a timeline for yourself? Do you set ranking goals, financial goals with your tennis career? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, yes, I definitely, I don't know if I've set financial goals. Um, I've definitely set um, ranking goals. You know, I, I'd like to be ranked um, in the top, definitely in the top 400 uh, in doubles by, by the end of the first year. Um, and that, you know, maybe that's, that's just me being as realistic and, and honest with myself as possible starting, you know, this August um, to probably July next year, I'd like to be top 400. Um, and then obviously I'd like to be top, top, you know, 250, 200 after two years. And then, you know, top one, 150, top 100 after four years. And then hopefully, you know, really just playing ATPs um, after that. And, and, you know, and my end goal is to be top 10. I think being top 10 is something that's realistic for me. You know, if you, if you look at my, my, you know, make a champ, there's, you know, a list of guys who have made it to the top 10 who had, you know, not as good of careers, not as good of years as I've had this past year in college. Um, so it's definitely something realistic that I, I, I believe I can accomplish. And, um, you know, in the end, it's, it, if all I can do is work as hard as I can and train as hard as I can, um, and, you know, attend to all the details I possibly can to give myself the best chance of playing. Um, and then, and then the left, you know, the rest is up to however, you know, that day is on that court, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have a positive attitude. Um, I'm going to work as hard as I can to win the match and give everything I have. Um, and if I win, I win. And if I lose, I lose. Um, but that's all, that's all I can focus on was, is, is what I can do each and every day to get better. Um, and to be as mentally and physically prepared for each match as possible. Um, I love it. I love it. So yeah. after Cancun, where can we look for you? Um, hopefully, I'm. I'm. Hopefully, I'm going to be trying to play the the Challenger in New Haven. Um, so that's really the big one, and then most likely on the on the U.S. Future Circuit. Um, that'll probably be. I'll probably be playing all the features um, around Texas. Um, in the in the near term, um, there's. I, I believe there's 11 tournaments on the schedule um, from this start from this point. Um, to the end of the year so not a super heavy schedule to start obviously that has a lot to do with um and obviously being, finan being financially responsible but also um you know understanding that it is my first year on tour or it is my first you know six months on tour and and that traveling is is obviously super difficult so um you know i don't want to burn out <laughs> i'm trying to be as smart as possible about it um and well, if, I so good, if i feel oh, good if i feel good if I yep. feel good, I'll, I'll stay. I'll stay out there and, and play the next tournament, right? I think it it definitely goes week by week. Um, so we'll see. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. A, yeah, I mean, building a 30 week schedule for yourself gives you time to recover. It gives you time to rehab. If God forbid you do get a 
you know, a little injury yep. out there. It gives you time to recharge emotionally, to come home, see your girlfriend, see your parents, see your coach, yeah, you know, do all true. those things, yeah. which is great. And I mean, you know, we all know tennis is a year round sport. They're even yep. at the professional level, there's a very, very short break in December before everything starts back up again, uh, yep. you know, down under. So it's, it's very difficult to schedule. And I think, you know, going about it the way you're doing it with planning to play 30 weeks this first year makes perfect sense. I, what yep. do I know? But from what I've read and what I've seen over the years, you know, I think, Again, that whole issue of burnout becomes very significant on the pro tour, just like it does with the juniors. Yeah, just as much. I think just as much in the pro tour because, you know, in the pros, you're completely alone. Um, at least most people are, are completely alone at, at the lower levels. So it's, it's extremely right. And you're relying on yourself to make a living. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you don't win, you don't get paid. So it's it's a very different kind of pressure than, you know, losing a junior tennis match. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for you, Jimmy. And, you know, I'm really happy that we got the chance to chat and that we'll get the chance to share your, your site. And hopefully the Parenting Aces audience will help you out. And I know we'll all be supporting you as you go out there and try your hand at this. Yeah. Awesome. I appreciate it. If everyone, you know, doesn't, if, if donating isn't your thing, then obviously following um, matters just as much. Right. I think that's my goal in the end as a, as a person is to have as much impact as possible. And I think people follow me and, and I, I continue to, to build the career. I think it'd be super special to have, um, you know, the more, most supporters as possible. So. And if people want to find you, yeah, if people want to find you on social media, I know you're on Twitter. Um, is that where you'll be kind of keeping up with results, sharing your results? Or is yeah, there probably, another way people can follow you? It'll probably be mostly on Twitter. Yeah. That, okay. Yep. Awesome. So we'll have a link to your Twitter account in the show notes as well. So people can start following you there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jimmy. And to my audience, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out parentingaces.com. <laughs>